Hello, everyone. My name is Nora Eckert, and you're listening to The Conversationalist. I know it's been quite a bit since my last podcast upload. And if you follow The Conversationalist on Facebook or Twitter, you'll have seen that I'm taking things a bit slower in the coming months as I'm starting to work on year two of the website. I'm embarking on a new adventure that is consuming quite a bit of my time, but I can't wait to release it to you. I will say that moving forward, I think the podcast format will be changing quite a bit. The first change is just because I'm stingy and my platform is a bit expensive. So starting in November, the previous podcasts will not be publicly available. I will make all of them downloadable before then. So feel free to download your favorites. And this will happen in mid-November. If you're listening to this after that date, no fear. Send me an email at theconversationalistne at gmail.com. And I can shoot you the episode of your choice. No one will probably take advantage of that. But hey, trying to be considerate if you liked any of the previous ones enough to listen to them again, which I hope you did. All right, on to the important stuff. Here is Andrew or Rue Dory. Rue Yori was a competitor on American Ninja Warrior. He's an advocate for dog adoption, an assistant lab supervisor of a next-generation sequencing lab at Mayo Clinic, and he speaks up regularly to try to change the narratives surrounding pit bulls. He is motivation personified. I was having a particularly draining day when I went to interview him, and after we spoke, I felt like I had just gotten like a shot of caffeine or like a pleasant electric shock. Like I felt so just rejuvenated, and I hope he has that effect on you. Our full video conversation is already live on my website, theconversationalistnora.com. And if you come there for nothing else, some of his lovely dogs make an appearance and they're pretty great. So check that out. We'll be covering some content we're not going to get to in today's podcast. So for a more complete picture, take a look at those video conversations. Rue has provided a nurturing home for many dogs but the two that have gotten the most attention were his pit bulls, Wallace and Hector. He adopted Wallace from a shelter in 2005 and Hector in 2008. Wallace inspired a best-selling book and Hector had quite a few fans as he was one of the survivors of the Michael Vick dogfighting scandal. Now, before we proceed, I want to address the controversy surrounding pit bulls and pit bull adoption. Pit bulls are obviously quite a divisive subject. Since I posted the video features about Rue, there have been a few hundred comments from people on both sides of the issue, and it got quite heated. I don't want to continue with these episodes without acknowledging that many individuals have had negative experiences with pit bulls, and this has informed their perspective. I personally do not have enough knowledge about the subject to make any commentary But in this episode, Rue is going to talk about his own experience with his two pit bulls and how he found that they defied the stereotypes that many have about them. He encourages open-mindedness and consideration of nuance. This may anger some of you, but I hope you take the time to listen to his perspective, knowing he has dedicated much 
of his life to researching and advocating for this issue. And I look forward to you respectfully contributing your own experiences in the comments. The most frustrating thing for me is when this sort of devolves into just a hateful back and forth of throwing facts at each other and not listening to the other side. And that really is not what this is about. So if we can try to encourage some productive conversations, we can see where each of these sides is coming from and recognize that both deserve consideration, that would be ideal. All right, let's jump into something a bit more upbeat, and that is an epic obstacle course. People running up walls, jumping from one slippery, slanted platform to the next, swinging from one suspended rung to the next. That's right, we are talking about American Ninja Warrior. It is a popular TV show where competitors complete a series of obstacle courses that change from one location and season to the next. Didn't know he getting nowhere. So close, yo, I can almost touch it. Easy does it. Roll the dutches covered in lean like they crutches. Competitors often take on these larger than life personas in this TV show with unique names or characters. Rue was dubbed the Canine Ninja Warrior because he promoted his mission to encourage dog adoption. Clad in a t-shirt that said adopt a dog, he barreled through courses, knocked down the competition, and inspired some pretty bad puns. I'm rooting for Andrew Yuri. That's my dog right there. Let's see what kind of new tricks this old dog can learn. That's my dog right there. Who let them dogs out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Brew first competed in 2016. He talks about his feelings as he approached the course. I kind of know how to kind of gear up for those type of things, but um, I was just, I don't know. It was, it was fairly overwhelming, um, you know, and you look at the course and I was confident that I could do it, but we only get one shot and we don't get to try it at all beforehand. Oh yeah, I didn't mention that. Competitors only have one shot to complete this course. There's no dry runs, so no pressure or anything. So it's like, I know I can do it, but will I do it? Yeah. The one chance that I have to do it. And so you're just trying to prepare. I, I visualize, visualize myself like going through that course over and over and over and over and over again. Um, there was, fortunately, there was... Uh, I was able to recover. I was kind of in the on-deck circle, and I kind of had some nerves come over me, and, you know, just like, holy cow, this is really happening. Andrew had a bit of added pressure on himself because he had this whole mission he was trying to promote. Like you said, I kind of have this other mission out there, and I knew that um, if I did well in the course, then it would probably be a better chance that I'd get featured on the show and, you know, that kind of stuff, and then... It'd be a great opportunity for the dogs. So I was kind of putting that pressure on myself a little bit. Getting a little nervous, getting a little shaky. But then fortunately, I wasn't running at that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was able to pull myself together and then uh, just just refocus. And But when I took the, took the starting line, I was just pumped. Let's break apart the process a bit more. So for the city qualifiers and city finals of American Ninja Warrior, 
you just have to complete the course. If you complete the course, you advance to the next round. If you don't complete the course, time is what determines who advances. Rue finished the qualifier with no problem. But he did not complete the city finals course. He was right on the bubble to advance time-wise, and the next guy who was up was a pro who we fully expected to go on to the next round. But I made it to that point, and I was actually right on the bubble. And I, Lauren Ball had the fastest time, and he's been on the show every single season, and he was up. And it was, if he made it past where I did, he went on. Mm-hmm. Where, but if he fell, I went on to mm-hmm. Vegas. And I was fully expecting to say, well, good job, Lauren. It's yeah. been fun. This was <laughs> way more than I expected. You know, to make it even that close to going to Vegas was like, yeah. I was pumped, you know. But then he actually fell on the rolling log, second obstacle. Okay. And I, I was like, I... I, I was in shock. I was like, is, does that really mean, like, I, I didn't, it didn't sink in that I was actually going to get to go to nationals. And at nationals, it was still like, I'm just like, am I really here? Re- I think I was really able to draw from the competitive background and really just kind of be able to perform under that pressure and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. when I went to Vegas, my goal was to um, make it through stage one. So I really, really wanted to make it through stage one. I thought that would be doable. Um, unfortunately, the one obstacle that I had never really done before, the jumping spider, was the one that gave me trouble and mm-hmm. unfortunately went out on that one. So, yeah. But um, it was a tough course. I, I think I was finished about middle of the pack. You know, I, I made it through. So let's dig more into this alias of his, the K-9 Ninja Warrior. And that is K, the letter K, and the number nine. Rue has been involved in advocating for dog adoption and pit bulls for years. I had been doing a lot of dog rescue work before Ninja Warrior. Like I said, I was offered a position, you know, to do full-time dog rescue stuff on New York. Um, For the decade before applying for the show, my wife and I were involved with volunteering, you know, Um, getting the word out about rescue dogs, getting the word out about pit bulls. Um, Wallace and Hector passed away in 2013 and 14. His two pit bulls, Hector and Wallace, had such a legacy, we're going to get into that, that Rue wasn't sure how to proceed after they passed away. He decided that American Ninja Warrior was the great next step for him and also a way to reach a new audience. I don't want, I didn't want it to just be, Hey, look at me. I'm doing obstacles. I was Mm -hmm. like, it's a huge platform. Let's do some good with it. And so, um, let's reach a different audience. You know, the general public, I'm never one to try and preach to the choir. You Mm -hmm. know, I never try and do that. I try and like get outside the circles, try and engage new people. Um, and so I just thought that was a really amazing opportunity. And if I got the chance, I would want to take advantage of it. So I just, I just, you know, said, Hey, let's promote some dog adoption on here. I really admired that about Rue, how he had this desire to reach new people, to talk to them, hear about their experiences, and also share his experiences with them. He's not someone who likes to sit still, and it kind of is that way with his audience. He wants to reach new people. He doesn't want to remain stagnant. He wants to be active and educate different groups of individuals.
wasn't allowed to wear a logo on his t-shirt, so he went for a very simple message. So I'm like, I'm just gonna wear a shirt that says adopt a dog. You know, yeah. I was like, super general, like, that's what I wanna do, you know? And yeah. Everybody is always asking me, oh, now, how can I support adopt a dog? Oh, I think it's like, <laughs> it's your foundation. Yeah, they think it's yeah. like an organization or a program. <laughs> I'm just like, just do it, just, <laughs> just do it. Like, it's you wanna right support there. it? Just, just do it. It's not something you support, it's something you do. Go to the shelter, adopt a dog. Let's dive more into the dogs that inspired such a legacy, Wallace and Hector. I asked Rue about the first time that he met Wallace. Yeah, uh, Wallace came into the shelter uh, here locally and um, Clara was working at the shelter. I was volunteering there and um, you know, he just, was uh, a naughty little dog <laughs> that had a little spark in his eye. Um, and that's pretty much where we met him. So uh, Claire called me up, or I went in to volunteer and Claire's like, you gotta, you gotta see this dog. And I looked over and he looked up at me and you know, just like, like you could tell he had a little, little naughtiness to him, a little extra gears to him as well. Yeah. But, uh, um, and so, you know, we just kind of, Met him there. It wasn't really this super connection at first, you know, but um, he was having trouble in the shelter. Um, and so we kind of started working with him a little bit just to try and keep him sane. It was a really stressful environment for him. Um, he was a super driven, super energetic dog. Mm. Um, and so without like a constant outlet, he, he would find things to do and they weren't really mostly appropriate. Okay. <laughs> so. But Rue had an issue with how Wallace was treated in the center. Like I said, he wasn't an angel, but I felt like there were other dogs that weren't angels either, and mm -hmm. they didn't look like he did, and so they weren't as concerned with their behavior, and I thought that, I just didn't like that inconsistency at the time, so. Like all high-energy dogs, Wallace needed an outlet. Many pit bulls are put into weight pulling to do this, but Wallace wasn't a big fan of that. And one day, Rue saw an ad for something a bit different, and it started the two on a path that no one ever anticipated and that inspired countless individuals and a bestseller book. So we stood up for him and took him in as a foster originally. Um, had another dog that liked to play frisbee. Happened to see an ad for uh, somebody that wanted to start a disc dog club here in Minnesota yeah. through the Mayo Classifieds. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and which ended up getting taken down that same day because he wasn't selling anything, so it broke the rules. But I happened oh. to see it in like the two hours that it was up. Wow, that's fortuitous. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. yeah. Yeah, so, um, so we got involved with that. And Clara used to play fetch with Wallace at the shelter, so she said, why don't you give him a shot? And, I did, and I guess the rest is history, yeah. as you say. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, it was crazy. And he was just naturally took to it. Um, and it just kind of, that's when we really started to kind of create a, create a really good bond and work together and that kind of thing. So, um, and he loved it. He loved it uh, more than weight pulling. And so mm. it just kind of became our thing. In a sport not meant for pit bulls, Wallace excelled. Wallace back then um, was often the only pit bull at the competitions because you know it's typically border collies, cattle dogs, yeah. you know, etc. Yeah. So, you know, not only 
would he not was he not good with other dogs but you know he wasn't the type of dog that they were typically you know so they, that they would typically use so it's like are they gonna you know take a chance on a, on a pit bull type of thing and mm. um but it worked out for me so yeah <laughs> and and him i think too yeah so. yeah he's famous yeah <laughs> Rue and Wallace won the Sinosport World Championship in 2006, and they were crowned the Purina Pro Plan Incredible Dog Challenge National Champions in 2007. Say that three times fast. Purina Pro Plan Purina. I'm giving up. Wallace's ascent to becoming a disc competition champion inspired a best-selling book. As he gained a following, Rue prepared to go on a book tour to show people the dog behind all of the press. You know, the book came out in kind of his retirement. You know, we had stopped competing. Um, I was just kind of letting him be a dog. You know, everybody saw Wallace as this superstar frisbee dog, you know, and kind of what we put online. And But not a lot of people saw Wallace as just like the dog, you know, just the, yeah. like our family dog. And so... Um, I was kind of looking forward to people getting to know Wallace with the book because we were planning on, you know, now that the book was released, we could go on tours and, you know, like go to book signings and let them actually meet Wallace rather than just watch him catch frisbees on the screen, you know. Unfortunately, Wallace was diagnosed with cancer and collapsed at their very first signing. It turns out he had hemangiosarcoma, a type of very volatile cancer that often leads to burst tumors, causing the dog to bleed out. And just as a warning, Rue's dog Angus took quite a liking to my hand in this part of the video, so you might hear some licking sounds in the background. Um, our very first book signing uh, was in my hometown of Illinois and we went to a disc dog competition that that weekend and we were heading back home and that's when he kind of collapsed and fortunately we were five minutes away from an ER vet okay. made it there in time um, he was basically bleeding out because uh, one of his tumors burst it's called hemangiosarcoma is the uh, cancer that he had um, it's targets the blood vessels uh, and so it a lot of times uh, uh, occurs in the spleen because that's such a vascular organ. Um, and so that's what happened. And so fortunately, it was localized to the spleen in his case. Um, we didn't know for sure that's what it was. That's what they told us it probably was. Um, and so we had to make a call. It was like, all right, um, he's bleeding out right now. You either have a and it's due to his spleen. So we can either take his spleen out, put him through surgery, take his spleen out, hope it's not hemangiosarcoma, because the prognosis for hemangiosarcoma was like two weeks to three months. So it's like, do you put a dog through surgery to get another two months, three months out of, you know, do, do I do that to him, you know? Or do I say goodbye to him like right now? tough call to make. Luckily, the surgery was a success, 
and once again, Wallace defied all the odds against him. Hope it's not in Angio sarcoma. Cross our fingers and you know, see what happens. So, made it through the surgery. Um, unfortunately, it was in Angio sarcoma. So now, we get the word that it's two weeks to three months. If you don't do chemo, that's his life expectancy. So it's like by the time he recovers from the surgery, he could die again. Mm. Rue and Clara knew that with Wallace's health history, chemo would be particularly difficult. They explored some other options and found an alternative treatment online that proved to be quite successful. But Wallace just had a history of, of not of bad luck when it comes to health and that kind of stuff. So we're like, you know, I found a, a mushroom derivative. Somebody sent, actually I didn't find it. Somebody sent it to me. Um, they sent a study in the comments of, the, of when we posted what he had, he had the hemangiosarcoma. Yeah. And it was a study that somebody did with this uh, mushroom derivative with dogs with hemangiosarcoma. And they dosed it differently. And the dogs with the highest dose did the best with no side effects. Wow. And they actually like were out, like increased, or these dogs with the high doses of this mushroom had lived like nine months. Oh, wow. So I was just like, all right. And so yeah. that's kind of what we did. And I looked at the study. Fortunately, like I said, I kind of have a science background. And yeah. so I was looking at it. And I read through the study. And I'm you like, it. it's a very small population. Mm -hmm. Like it's a very small sample population. But I'm like, well, the study has actually done well. You know, I'm like, what else do we got to lose? Yeah. You know, so we're like, we decided to not do chemo. We gave him, it's immunity. It's some, yeah. some, yeah. Hey, Scooby. You hear the clicking? <laughs> you, hear there, the, yeah. Yeah, you hear the clicking on the video? It's Scooby it's like, walking I want to be around. famous, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we had this uh, mushroom and um, we just went with that. And so we didn't know what, we didn't know how long he would have. Hemangiosarcoma is a particularly tricky diagnosis because there is usually an acute downturn for the dog with no sort of indication that his or her condition is poor. It kind of happens all at once. Instead of constantly anticipating this decline, Rue and Clara embraced the time they had left with Wallace, deciding to create a bucket list for Wallace to complete. Let's talk about this epic bucket list that inspired so many. The list included everything from riding in the sidecar of a motorcycle to meeting Betty White. And they accomplished every dang thing on that list. Again, how much more motivating can you get? Clara came up with the bucket list and it's like, all right, we don't like we don't know when he's gonna pass away, but let's make the best of our time that we have with him. And so we created a list that we thought you would enjoy, yeah. you know, um, stuff that we thought would be fun. That, you know, and just stuff that he'd want to do as a dog, stuff that we want to do with him as, yeah. as dog owners. And um, we made the list. It was riding a motorcycle sidecar, <laughs> you know. So, and I, it was amazing too, like the all of Wallace's fans that like stepped up to make this stuff happen as well. Like, I we put the bucket list out there, and all of a sudden I got a message from a gal that we went to college with, who I think, I think her uncle. 
I think it was uncle, uncle or cousin. I'm pretty sure it was uncle. Had or I don't know. It was it was like a couple people removed. Yeah. Had a motorcycle with a sidecar that was up in northern <laughs> Minnesota, and so she yeah. got us in touch with him, and he's like, "Yeah, come on up." And so we went up there. Never met the guy, yeah. but he let us like take his motorcycle and sidecar out with Wallace because he um, he he actually bought a motorcycle with sidecar for him and his wife. But his wife didn't like riding in it. Yeah, I wonder why. So, so the dog, he had a golden retriever named Sarge, I think, that uh, would always ride in it. So he was used to having the dog there. So he yeah. like helped us like finagle it and whatnot. So, um, you know, and then uh, we put on there meet Betty White, you know. And uh, fortunately, I have an aunt that worked on the set for Hot in Cleveland. And so when we were on a trip out to California, and she's like, I think I can actually get you, you know, set up to meet Betty White on her, on her lunch break in between. Yeah. yeah. And it was awesome. And she was so cool. Um, yeah, she, she's, she's amazing. And, uh, you know, just stuff like that. Um, we'd never been to the ocean, so we went on our trip to California. We got to see the ocean. Um, I had a little bit of fun with it. Um, <laughs> he, he always liked to hold stuff in his mouth and like swing stuff like he had sticks in his mouth or yeah. whatever so i was like you know i could probably get a golf club in his mouth <laughs> and so i was like how cool would it be to have a dog get a hole in one and so i <laughs> i set this like mini golf course contraption up yeah, you know, yeah. and went down in there and actually got in the hole so we're like you got a hole in one you know but um yeah just stuff like that it was, it was awesome yeah. um so and he ended up like exceeding his his life oh. expectancy so we pretty much made it through the first list mm-hmm. and then uh so we're like well we gotta add to the list you know so we just added more stuff uh one thing we didn't get on ellen unfortunately oh, that didn't happen yeah that's a good question. so ellen if you ever watch this yeah i'm sure she's watched. <laughs> you want to throw me a bone too ellen yeah that'd be good for both of us yeah, right exactly. it's like, come on Eventually, Wallace's rich life came to an end, and they made the difficult decision to put him down. He ended up getting uh, a second cancer, or transitional cell carcinoma is what he got at the very end. Um, And that's the reason we ended up having to make that decision. Um, He was getting uncomfortable. Um, They did some scans and the vets couldn't believe that, you know, his hemangiosarcoma had not come back yet. and it, I think on the last scans that we did, they didn't really see too many signs of it, but the transitional cell carcinoma was kind of taking hold and that's, you know, was making it pretty uncomfortable. And so once it got to the point where he was more uncomfortable than comfortable, you know, then unfortunately you gotta make, make the call. So mm-hmm. and it was, uh, but it was, a, it was a, about as good of a day as you could have, you know, yeah. it was nice. We were able to, I, was, I think I was home from work that day um, so we just let him walk around here to kind of do what he wanted, and, um, and it was, the sun was shining, so we got to you know just lay in the sun, and then um, vets came over to the house and um, went out. So. Mm-hmm. And what a year to have! What a last year for Oh him. yeah, yeah. Got to play disc one last time at Soldier's Field. Mm. Um, 
footage of that is amazing. That's the one that really gets it. Yeah, yeah. You have a box of tissues ready for that one if you see that one online. This is all really emotional. I imagine, like, I don't have a dog, but I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was super foggy night. Uh, It was incredible. So, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, there's just so. I love when you're talking about the people who kind of pulled together to make all this happen for him. I think there's something really that translates about his story, especially when I was reading things that you wrote about him or even just you talking about him now. There's a lot there about. Uh, you know, a type of animal that's judged consistently. There's all these conceptions about what this animal is going to do and yeah. all the negative aspects and like all the delightful times you have with Wallace in spite of that and in yeah. spite of how people think he should act. I don't there's something really universal there. I Like when I was reading one of your pieces, I think it's one you wrote for the Huffington Post, just how you described him, it made me think so much of human experience too. Of course, dog behavior and human behavior are not directly comparable. But in Wallace's story, I saw many translational elements to the human world. And I wondered how Rue's experience with his dog changed how he addressed other individuals or interacted with people in the world. Rue explains how his experience with Wallace really changed his perspective on fear. He wrote a piece for the Huffington Post entitled, My Pitbull Never Snapped. And I'd like to read a quote from that. Fear is an interesting thing. On one side, it makes us cautious and can keep us safe. On the other, it can imprison us by limiting what we're able to experience. How we choose to respond to our fears can dictate our lives quite a bit. In this clip, Rue further explains how Wallace changed his outlook on life. So, like, what have you learned from Wallace that translates to things beyond dogs? Yeah. <laughs> Even though they're very important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, it was, you know, so many times in life, you know, I think we're kind of told this and told that, you know, and it's really hard to go against that sometimes, you know, especially when... You know, it's, it's kind of personal to us or maybe we have our own self-doubts or our own self-perceptions or, you know, and it's like, um, I think a lot of people were, were kind of afraid to fail, if you will, you know, because we don't, we don't want to fail, you know, but um, something that really just resonated with me is Wallace didn't care if he failed at all. You know, it's like Wallace didn't know that all these people were saying these things about him. They didn't know that he didn't know that he wasn't supposed to be a frisbee dog because that's not what pit bulls do. You know, he had none of these preconceptions mm-hmm. about him within him. Oh, right. Yeah. And so he's like, I want to catch that frisbee. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go catch that frisbee <laughs> and I'm going to try my best to catch that frisbee. Yeah. You know, and it's like he he wasn't the fastest dog out in the field. He wasn't the highest jumping dog on the field, but he always worked his rear end off. Like he threw everything he had into whatever he did. And because of that is why I think, you know, he was so successful. Wallace didn't care if he failed. He didn't care what people had to say about him, and this informed Rue's definition of success and failure. 
you know, I never had to worry about was he gonna was he gonna be with me that day, you know, out on the field, you know. Um, there's some other dogs would kind of check out, you know, and like or they get distracted or this kind of, you know, they weren't all in all the time. He was all in all the time, and you know, just like if I could take that to stuff that I do with my life, you know, it's like what could I accomplish, you know? And that's been kind of a driving force ever since we've been with him, you know. I, yeah. I, I'm not as good as it with er, I'm not as good as he was, you know, but it's something that I aspire to that I try to, you know, kind of remind myself when I'm doubting myself, you know, it's like, can I do this? I don't know. But the only way you're going to find out is if you try it. And if you try it and you fail, then you learn from it, you move on, and you try again, and you try again. And it's like, it's really gotten me over my fear of, of failing, like failing. Because the only real, the only, it's cheesy, cliche, but the only way you really fail is if you don't do it. You know, that's how you truly fail in my, in my mind now, you know, so. Or were there, were there ever times where you let fear dictate decisions in your life? And how do you prevent that from happening now? You kind of touched on how you do now, but. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, we're, I think we're faced with that kind of stuff every single day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like all the choices that we make or all the, all the things that we're faced with on a daily basis, you're, you have to make a choice on all of that, mm -hmm. you know, and some of them are more impactful than others, yeah. you know, and I think that when you um, really think that when you're dealing with a more impactful one there's more consequence and anytime you're dealing with more consequence then you know it's like you know those are the ones that really in for me I want to make the right choice you mm -hmm. know because I know that you know it's, it's a consequence that one way or the other but and I used to and I still do I, I just I kind of go over that over and over in my head I'm like am I making the right choice am I you know am I doing the right thing what's yeah. what's going to happen if if I do this and I try and step through it, if I do this, I step through that. And then, yeah. you know, when you get too wrapped up in that, you know, that's when I start doubting, like, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, that's debilitating. Yeah, yeah you know, and hard. so you just have to, I've gotten a lot better now, you know, as a result of this, just to be like, weigh the options, mm -hmm. make a choice. If it doesn't work out, it's not this end of the world situation you know it's like all right now i know that yeah and that's like am i still here still got my dogs yeah. still got my wife roof over my head you know yeah. everything's still good it's like hey all right that's part of the process yeah um, Sorry, that, Angus. that's part of the process to, yeah. to actually figure out what the right thing is yeah and so instead of being like this one thing is going to make or break my life um it's like no that's part of my life Rue's experience with Wallace and Hector greatly informed his perspective on judging others and being open to being wrong. Hector came out of a dogfighting situation, and he should have been the most aggressive dog and have many problems. Wallace, on the other hand, had a much less troubled upbringing. But Wallace had many more behavioral problems than Hector did, even though their backgrounds indicated the complete opposite would happen. 
It showed Rue that he should keep an open mind to being proven wrong and not judge based on one's background. And again, this is a part that gets quite controversial because many argue that you should pay attention to the genetic predispositions that pit bulls may have, but this is disputed as well. Rue explains that many immediately believe what they are told, and often this does not coincide with reality. Talking about like preconceptions and the stereotypes and all that kind of stuff, um, Hector was the dog from the Michael Vick case that we adopted. He was from a dog fighting situation. Um, and he was a freaking rock star. And it was like, we don't know what we don't know until we actually go in and find out. You know, and that's something else that I've kind of taken with Wallace and Hector just really kind of cemented that in there is like, I am even myself wanting to be, uh, speak up for these dogs had my preconceived notions about Hector. He had scars all down his chest. We wanted to adopt a dog from that situation because we thought it'd be a great opportunity, not only for them, but uh, to continue what we were doing with Wallace on a bigger scale yeah. um, to help dogs everywhere. That was our goal for that one. And, um, you know, just to, even with that in mind, I had preconceived notions about Hector. Okay. Um, how could a dog from that situation with scars down his chest, be good with dogs. And we have Wallace, who actually was raised with another dog, and he wasn't good with other dogs, you know? And if you took those two side by side, and you had to pick which one was the dog that wasn't with, wasn't good with dogs, which one did you pick? Yeah, right? you'd think that Hector would Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And it's just like, but that wasn't the case. And so yeah. it really drove home that, you know, we all have our opinions, um, but a lot of times those opinions may not be uh, knowledgeable ones. Mm -hmm. And so just keep an open mind as far as trying to prove yourself wrong. You know, so mm -hmm. it's like be open to prove yourself wrong because who knows what's going to happen. You know, yeah. you just might do it. Yeah. And it just might be something really cool. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So. of advocating for pit bull adoption, Rue has encountered some pretty tough and tense conversations. He speaks about how his techniques for approaching discourse have changed over time and how important it is to consider nuance. I constantly strive to not get worked up about stuff that's, you know, potentially going wrong or, you know, stuff that happens. It's like, all right, just remain calm deal with this appropriately, move forward, move on. Um, yeah. I've gotten a lot better at that over the years. Um, externally, you know, I'd really like to just help people and, and do good things mm -hmm. for people. And so when I'm like getting email from somebody that, you know, that they saw what I've done online or with Wallace or Hector or on the show or anything like that. Um, you know, and it says that I've inspired them to be more active or, um, you know, inspired them to think about a situation differently, you know, just to kind of, that I challenge somebody in a way that they responded to 
positively. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think is really cool. That's like probably one of the things that I get most proud of, I guess, when, mm -hmm. when that happens because there's a lot of people that, you know, we have these differences in opinions and unfortunately, especially on the social media world these days, you know, it yeah. becomes a debate, it becomes a fight. Is that a, a problem? I don't yeah, know. <laughs> it becomes a fight. It becomes people are like... civil on social media. Yeah, 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 you know, right? You know, and it just turns into this thing that doesn't really need to be. And so, yeah. you know, when I can take something like a controversial topic like pit bulls or, um, you know, whatever that is and have a conversation with somebody, a civil conversation with them and like, you know... I'm going to learn from them. Hopefully they'll learn from me. And if we can, you know, kind of continue to deal with things that way, mm. you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool experience in my mind because while there are really ignorant, hateful people out there, I don't think most people are, at least I try to believe that. And, you know, so it's like, we need to be rational about stuff and, you know, kind of meet halfway, respect, respect the other side and have a conversation because very few things are black and white. You know, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of gray in there, and I think that we need to converse about the gray a lot more than argue about the black and white extremes. Those wonderful comments on the importance of considering nuance will end our conversation with Rue Yori today. Thank you very much for listening, and as I said at the beginning of this episode, if you have experiences that you want to add to this dialogue respectfully, please feel free to do that in the comments below. I think most individuals are willing to have productive conversation if the other side is willing to listen. If we can remember that in approaching this tense topic of pit bull adoption, I hope that something good can come of it. And beyond that smaller aspect of our conversation, I feel privileged to have had the opportunity to meet Ru Yori and speak with him about his views on success and failure and motivation. I entered this conversation expecting to get some really exciting stories about American Ninja Warrior and talk with him more about his experience with Wallace and Hector, but I was so happy we were able to dive into more complex discussions of open-mindedness and judgment and fear. And there's much more to this conversation. If you want to get a more complete picture, I have our full video conversation posted on my website. That's theconversationalistnora.com. So take a peek at that. The music in this episode is from Free Music Archive under the Share Alike license, and all attributions will be in the description of this podcast. You can follow The Conversationalist on Facebook and Twitter. All that will be linked below for more breaking news updates. And as always, if you know someone who you think I should interview for The Conversationalist, or if you want to have a discussion with me about previous interviews I've done, please feel free to send me an email at theconversationalistne at gmail.com. A big thank you to Rue Yori. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll speak to you soon. Of course, dog behavior and human behavior are not directly comparable. <laughs> Okay, really quick, really quick. Okay. <laughs> of course, dog behavior and human behavior are not directly comparable. <laughs> I try not to laugh. <laughs>